A house is not a home. You might recognise that lyric from a song written in the 1960s by Bert Bacharach and Hal David. It was a hit for Dionne Warwick and Luther Vandross. The missing element was someone to hold you tight. A loved one, presumably. And it says something interesting about the topic of this podcast. How to transform a dry story into something more human and more enjoyable to listen to. My name is Andrew Thorpe. Welcome to Leaning Forward. We all have stories to tell, whether it's our life's journey or something that happened on the train on the way to work. Some of the stories we tell are about past experiences that somehow turned out to be significant, and it's important that we do justice to them. In this episode, we're going to explore how to transform a series of dry facts into a more human and compelling story. Think of that dry version like the bare framework of a house. It might be structurally sound and watertight, but it's not a home yet. That's why you need to put in the carpets and the curtains, the furniture, the central heating, the pictures, plants, personal belongings, and of course, people. Over the next 10 minutes, we're going to see how this works, using a scenario which you may well have experienced yourself, being asked to organise an event. The main character in this particular story is Nazir, and here is the dry version first. Seven years ago, I was asked by my boss to organise a TEDx event. It took place in Manchester, in a small theatre near the office. The event had a theme based around AI, artificial intelligence. We put together an organising committee, which I chaired. A hundred people attended. We had eight speakers, two of our own employees and the rest external people. Each talk lasted up to 15 minutes. We recorded the talks and shared them via the internet. And the event was deemed a success. OK, that's the bare framework of the house. So let's see if we can turn it into a home and produce a more engaging story. Here we go. It's Friday afternoon, around four o'clock. I'm just wrapping things up at work and looking forward to the weekend, and I get this email. It's from my boss. It reads, Hi Nazir, I've decided we should run a TED event, and I know you're into that kind of thing. I'd like you to organise it. Let's chat some more on Monday. Have a great weekend. Now, I immediately took issue with two elements of this. Firstly, I know you're into that kind of thing. I may have mentioned to him that I'd watched a couple of TED Talks, but that hardly qualified me to organise a speaking event. And second, have a great weekend. Well, not now I wouldn't. This all happened about seven years ago, when I worked for a previous company as an IT manager in Manchester. But I remember it vividly, and I think the story's worth telling because it taught me a few valuable lessons. My boss at that time had recently taken over as CEO, and everyone was terrified of him. Short attention span doesn't suffer fools, 
that kind of thing. It turned out that he'd recently attended a TED conference in Edinburgh, and he was so taken with the experience that he decided that we should hold one ourselves. But I think he saw it as an opportunity to promote the company and to show that he was an ideas man, keen to make a mark in his new role. How on earth was I going to break it to him that TED Talks are about inspiring stories and ideas? And not his, but other people's. With a bit of help from his PA, she knew how to read him. I managed to persuade him that this wasn't about self-promotion, but about the speakers and their ideas. Once we'd got over that hurdle, there were some other issues. He wanted to hold the event in six weeks' time, to coincide with the company's 40th anniversary, but I explained that events like this took more than six months to organise. We settled on three months. I then discovered that we'd need to apply for a licence to run our own TED-themed event. They call these TEDx. And so our three-month timescale seemed impossible. But I remembered a friend of mine had organised one in the area, and it turned out that she still had the licence. So we agreed to run it through Emily's authorisation, sponsored by our company, and with her guidance, we were on our way. We agreed on a date, found a nice local theatre as a venue, and put together a small organising committee to start the planning process. And we had some important decisions to make. We needed an overall theme for the event, something to hold the whole thing together. And of course, there was the small matter of who would be speaking. As for the theme, my boss said, well, let's do something around AI, but make it about people too. Now, that really got us scratching our heads, but eventually we settled on something fairly broad to allow ourselves a bit of wiggle room. We called it Future Connection. TED events are really all about the talks, so we wanted a nice balance in the speaker lineup. And my first challenge was to persuade the boss to play a minor role himself and let others have the limelight. Yes, you should certainly welcome everyone, I said, but let someone else be the host. OK, why don't you do that, he said. Me and my big mouth. When it came to speakers, we had a couple of people in our company who we felt deserved a platform, and, and they included a young man called Morgan, who worked in one of the warehouses. And he had a, a terrific story to tell about his grandmother's obsession with texting. But we mainly wanted people from our external network, people with something interesting to say, which was somehow aligned with our connection theme. We didn't want to pack the lineup with what you might call professional speakers, although we did have one person in mind who could get us off to a really good start, someone to open the batting, so to speak. But one thing we didn't expect when we sent out some feelers to our network was the flood of requests to speak. It was tough to settle on a shortlist, and we got the impression that some people who applied saw it as um, a platform for themselves to sell themselves or sell their company. And we didn't want that. 
and we got a bit of aggro from people that we turned down. Not just from would-be speakers, but also from people who wanted to attend and who missed out on a ticket because we were limited by TED rules to 100 delegates. Once we'd firmed up on the speakers, we arranged a couple of rehearsals and and even provided some support from a presentation coach. And some of the speakers needed quite a lot of help. And in some cases, this was to build up their confidence. But for others, it was to make it maybe a bit less salesy, a bit less preachy. And eventually the big day came. And despite all the planning and preparation, the one thing we didn't cater for was Charlie. And by Charlie, I mean Storm Charlie, a cyclone that hit the UK around the time of our event. We had um, flooded roads, fallen power lines, um, snow, driving rain. And it meant that with 40 minutes to go before kickoff, we were getting calls from delegates who were stuck in traffic jams and frantic messages from two of our speakers saying they were going to be late. And one of those was actually our first speaker, that that professional who was going to get us off to a strong start. We knew we had to start on time because we were broadcasting a live stream of the event on Facebook. So we rearranged the running order. And, and, And I have to say that Morgan was a hero for agreeing to go first. And we seated the delegates from the front working back so that the late arrivals could sort of sneak in at the back and uh, and not disturb things. Then with 20 minutes to go, the unthinkable happens. A power cut. The storm was wreaking havoc, and all you could see in the theatre was a sea of smartphone lights, um, you know, like a pop concert. And word got around that there was an, a backup generator in the building, but no one seemed to know how to get it started. So I stood on stage, this this sea of white um, lights in front of me, and did the whole, is there a doctor in the house thing? And fortunately, there was a Sparky in the room, and he quickly found the generator, fired it up, and then miraculously everything burst into life, just in time for the live feed. I'm glad to say that the speakers did us proud, The celebrity speaker arrived in time to go on stage just after the midway break, and he was fabulous. And the other presenters all performed admirably. But it wasn't all plain sailing, I have to say. One of the presenters had a lapel mic that scraped against his jacket, and it made the most horrendous noise through the loudspeakers. He actually couldn't hear it from the stage, but he eventually realised because of people's um, sort of pained expressions in the audience. But I have to say that the surprise package was Morgan, the young man from the warehouse who really stole the show. Um, He got a standing ovation. He got the most laughs, um, especially the bit about his grandmother thinking that WTF meant, wow, that's fabulous. Looking back, the whole thing was an amazing experience, and it taught me a number of really important lessons. For one thing, you can plan and plan and plan, but in the end, things never go exactly the way that you expect. You have to be prepared to improvise, to think on your feet, to deviate from whatever preset agenda that you have. You also need a good team around you. 
And initially, I wanted to micromanage everything because I was so keen that the event went like clockwork. But when you work with people who know what they're doing, you have to get out of their way and let them deliver. Otherwise, you're just a hindrance. I learned that the best speakers are not necessarily the slickest performers, the ones who speak eloquently and make it look easy. Morgan's talk went down really well because he was just genuine. He wasn't trying to perform. And I suppose I learned something about my own capabilities as well, that I could do things that I hadn't done before and command the respect of a boss who most people were really, really intimidated by. And in many respects, it was um, a pivotal moment in my career. I, I actually look quite fondly back at the whole experience. And I sometimes wonder if one day I'll be the speaker at a TED event. Maybe I should tell this story. We're going to take a quick break now to hear from a fellow storyteller and podcaster, Stefano Capiccioni. He's a wizard with words, a collector of tales, and I'd thoroughly recommend his show, Storytelling with Puck. Here he is to tell you more. The story I'll, I'll read for you. The once with three little girls. This is a dream that I think really shows how we view transformation. Dreams, emotions, empathy, connection. Stories. Storytelling with Puck. Find your next tantalizing tale on your favorite podcast platform or at puckcreations.com forward slash storytelling with Puck podcast. Thanks, Stefano. And now back to our theme. I think Nazir's story contains many of the elements of the hero's journey template something that we've covered in other episodes of Leaning Forward. What I'd like to do now, just as an exercise for you in your own time, is to challenge you to recognise where any of these elements occur in the story that you've just heard. For example, the so-called inciting incident, the thing that takes Nazir's life in a new direction, would be that email from his boss. But can you spot any of these? Is there something about our key characters that suggests certain personality traits or motivations? Did Nazir have any doubts where he was unsure about his call to adventure? Was there a bit of factual context? The when, the where, what, who and why? Conflict between characters in the story? Assistance from a wise one? Demonstrations of courage? Adaptation, where circumstances dictated a change of plan. Assembling a team. Preparation for the big battle, a build-up of tension. Humour and empathy. Entering the arena. Characters having to deal with something unexpected. Some kind of resolution. A time to look back and learn lessons and dialogue. In truth, this is a made-up story, but it draws on some of my real experiences, as well as taking a bit of creative license. 
It's a manufactured story that's designed to demonstrate most of the hero's journey elements. And in that sense, it might seem a bit much. But I just wanted to illustrate some of the ingredients that help transform something that's dry into something more dramatic and more interesting. I recommend that you try this with some of your own experiences, be they anecdotes or case studies. Nazir's story would make a really nice 10-minute presentation, perhaps complemented by some um, slides with some nice pictures on them. And you might also think, now hang on, Andrew, this version is far longer than the so-called dry version. Will people really be prepared to listen for that long? Well, in my experience, people will happily give you more attention if what they're hearing is educational and entertaining. Attention spans tend to be short when material is dry and delivered in an unimaginative way. But tell them a gripping story and they will lean forward, listen, enjoy it and spread the word to others. And that's got to be a good thing, hasn't it? That's all for now from Leaning Forward. I hope you found something useful in this episode and that you'll try out some of these techniques to add a little drama to your stories. And do check out my good friend Stefano Capiccione and his show, Storytelling with Puck. You can find it where you normally listen to your podcasts or at puckcreations.com forward slash storytelling with Puck podcast. See you next time. <laughs>